welcome to the Control the Room podcast, a series devoted to the exploration of meeting culture and uncovering cures for the common meeting. Some meetings have tight control and others are loose. To control the room means achieving outcomes while striking a balance between imposing and removing structure, asserting and distributing power, leaning in and leaning out, all in the service of having a truly magical meeting. Today, I'm with Dr. Sarah Beth Burke. Dr. Sarah Beth Burke is a hybrid professional who also researches hybrid professional identity. She's also the author of more than my title. Welcome to the show, Sarah Beth. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks, Douglas. So tell us a little bit about how you got started in this work you do, this this notion of hybrid professional identity. Where did that even come from? Yeah, it's been a wild journey And it really started with that age-old question, what do you do? And I was going through my own, you know, career change transition and trying to figure out what my next move was. And when people asked me, what do you do? I just struggled. I didn't know who I was. I, I wanted to be seen as more than my current job. And at that point, I was a teacher and I was ready to break out. I wanted to transform systems and do more strategy and design and innovation work. And so essentially, I was having a professional identity crisis. I didn't know who I was. And that led me onto this big research journey and interviewing a lot of people and starting to understand what is this notion of professional identity? We just don't talk about it. And I looked at existing research, but what was fascinating to me the most was when I talked to other people, I thought they had it figured out and that I was the one that was confused and this was a problem only I experienced. And that was so far from the truth. I quickly realized that people, many people are more than their job title. That's just this kind of generic way that we give ourselves a frame and a label. And everyone I spoke to was so much more. So it gave me a sense of ease and peace to realize, oh my gosh, okay, it's not only me <laughs> trying to figure out my identity. And then it started to open up a lot of new questions and thinking of, why don't we talk about this? And why is it so hidden that people do many things? But beyond that, here was the real kick. I realized I have multiple professional identities. I was an artist and a teacher, and I was becoming a researcher, and I love design. I probably had a handful of others, but I didn't want to be just one identity at a time. When I took a job, I didn't want to just be hired as the designer or the researcher. I loved using all of those identities together. So through my continued research, I realized there's a way you can blend and merge identities. And actually, that's your truest form of yourself when you're in the intersections of multiple identities. And that's the hybrid. So that's sort of my short story on how I happened upon it. But now that I've unlocked it and I'm sharing it with other people that are, you know, trying to figure out how do they get their next job or how do they really explain and articulate what their value is, this notion of the hybrid is just the game changer. And I'm so glad people are liking it. You know, I personally resonate with this a lot because uh, my degree that I obtained in college was entitled multidisciplinary studies because mm. I didn't want to be in school and, you know, get four different majors, but I wanted to study a lot of different things. And in fact, I had spent a lot of time in computer science type stuff in high school, but enjoyed it so much. I just like, I figured that stuff out. I want to, I want to go study other stuff. (laughs) And so that's like, I think I personally carved out this journey where there wasn't this one-to-one between my degree and my job. 
And I think a lot of folks, that's the classic route. And I felt a little bit different in early that journey, but it seems like it's more and more we're finding whether you're a product manager or a facilitator, which is, this podcast is dedicated to, there's so many roles out there where you can't just go and get a degree in that role. And then in, in fact, it takes a very diverse and well-rounded background to make you excel in, in the role. So, so I'm, I'm just kind of curious, like how much do you think it has to do with these new types of roles that them of themselves are not super well-defined, right? They're, they're kind of hybrid in nature. I, I love everything you just framed because the truth is you're not alone. A lot of people are not the exact thing they went to school for or got a degree in and they've changed jobs and, you know, accumulated so many talents over time that they are like, yeah, what, what am I now? And I just wrote a really popular blog post a couple of weeks ago that looks at this issue of job descriptions and positions and the way that roles are being named. One that really stood out to me is a company called Jump, and they do a ton of design and design thinking type work. And they were hiring a person to be an innovation strategist, which is something that resonates with me. And what I loved in the job description is the first thing they wrote is, are you a hybrid thinker? They called Mm. that out. And then below that, they described it as someone who's one part a humanist, one part technologist, one part, you know, anthropologist and filmmaker, entrepreneur. They kind of listed these identity mashups that nailed it for me because companies are starting to realize they need someone that is multidisciplinary or multifaceted. And that's actually the value when you can find a person with this like crazy combined skill set and identity set. You know, as someone who's hired a lot of people over the years, like I hear that and part of me is reminded of this really, uh, I would say treacherous territory of kind of carving out this unicorn that, mm-hmm. that like maybe doesn't exist. And then, and then you have these unrealistic expectations on finding that person. But, you know, I think as the job market or the pool gets more and more sophisticated and people get have more and more experience, these unicorns do tend to, they're out there. And yeah. so I'm just kind of curious your thoughts on that. Yeah. It's that notion that the jobs of the future will eventually become commonplace today. So an example of that would be you know, a social media manager. We never knew we needed that role. 10 years ago, that was really outlandish and and exotic. And now it's so normal that multiple people have that in their job description underneath, you know, other duties. And I think now we see things like a DevOps manager. Well, that's hybrid. You're doing development and operations or even a data scientist. What, What is that? That's a hybrid title that now is becoming more normalized because we're like, yeah, of course you have to look at data scientifically with other methods and, you know, insights behind that. So I think it's that notion that when things are hybrid, I'll use more of like a product example for a second. When Camelback created a backpack that had a water bottle bladder inside of it, well, what the heck do you call that? That was a new product that combined two existing functions. And they named it a Camelback, and that suddenly caught on as the new way to call that object. Well, the same thing goes for people and roles. We don't know what they are until we sort of adopt it and get used to it. So I believe the unicorns are out there. We just don't have enough language to define them. Yeah, it's interesting. It's like, uh, are we tapping into an emergent phenomenon or really just dreaming up something that's some really crazy custom fit jigsaw puzzle piece that would just help our organization? Or are we tapping into some trends that are just starting to emerge? Probably all the above. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) 
I think the risk is when we overfit that jigsaw puzzle, right? And it's like, oh, here's this thing that's like, does does that thing even exist? Like, maybe that's two different people. <laughs> yeah, no, and that's part of the art and the science of this. Mm. So, thanks for putting that into perspective. We can't say we need someone that is the jack of all trades and an expert in everything because that's not realistic. So, my quick framework is that there's three types of professionals: people that have really one type of expertise. I call that singularity. People that have multiple things they do for work, I call that multiplicity. And then the hybrid is somewhere in the middle where you're blending and combining multiple expertise as well as multiple areas of generalists. And so it's sort of fuzzy. And so people say, if you're a hybrid, then you're not an expert. And actually, I disagree. I think you're an expert in your own hybridity because in that emergent space, I love that word you used, and you're in the intersection of multiple identities simultaneously, that's an expertise no one else can replicate. And to your point a moment ago of, you know, is it too crazy to ask for someone to be all these things? Yeah, I I think it is. So when I work with people one-on-one or in groups, I say, you have to first have a ton of self-awareness and know what are your core professional identities, the two, three, four at the most, that are really the ones you're best at. They light you up. You want the world to know you for. If you stop doing any of those tomorrow, you'd feel like part of you is missing. Once you land on those two, three, or four, that's what makes your hybridity. That's kind of the ingredients of a mixture. So yes, you probably can do more than those three or four identities, but that's not going to be like the best use of who you are as a hybrid. Where I'm trying to go with this is that there is sort of a hybrid needs to just be a certain set of components. It can't be everything. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I, I think that was the risk I was trying to point out to to folks that wanted to tap into this phenomenon is like temper your expectations, right? Like we can't just sit there and just conjure up the most perfect like combination of skills and experience because you know the, the more things you layer on, the less the probability that someone in the world has has accumulated those things and is available and is interested in working with you. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> and and people are fluid and dynamic, and mm. as the workforce is shifting, people are changing industries. And so once you start, you know, not just getting new jobs, but you're going from finance into healthcare into tech. You know, now you have this whole different set of who you are and how do you articulate that value. And I think that's what we're, I'm trying to help people discern is you need to tell a story of the relationships between the different identities you have. I love that. Gosh, it brings up a lot of stuff for me. I was even thinking about internal family systems. Mm. Uh, and But this notion of fluidity is is really fantastic. And maybe the advice to hiring managers and, and the thing I would probably internalize is that if we're hiring people that are hybrid or have that hybrid affinity, it means that we can benefit from that fluidity and adaptability um, because they they realize that they have this growth mindset and they're accumulating new skills. And so even though they're not this unicorn, maybe they're missing a few pieces, then they're going to grow into that or, and mm-hmm. they can adapt and not they're not just fixed in this identity of who they are and what they do. Absolutely. Identity is a really big spectrum and we change depending on context and time of our lives. We are not the same individuals that we were 10 years ago, you and I. You know, we have different tastes and interests and hobbies and probably even friends. So why would we ever think that our career stays stagnant too? Mm. Also, just kind of tying this back to meetings and facilitation, 
And also your comment around people saying that hybrids aren't experts. I would say that my interpretation of that would be that hybrids are experts at gluing things together Mm. Um, because you may have, and and in fact, a hybrid could be a deep expert in in two things and they're gluing together a bunch of other things. But um, even if they're not super deep expertise in in whatever is um, the topic at hand, you know, their deep expertise might be somewhere else. Even if they have the ability to span these different spectrums, mm-hmm. it means they're going to be able to glue together the deep knowledge that others on the team have. And that is super powerful. And I would argue that hybrids make great facilitators because our role is to glue together. It's to understand enough to say, hey, what you're saying is contradicting this other person, even though you seem to be agreeing. And that takes some hybridity. You have to understand uh, enough of each of these things and have enough experience to be able to to call on that knowledge and, and apply it in a way that everyone can kind of come to the table and understand it. Yeah, that's really a great insight and observation. I agree that hybrids definitely have one foot in different worlds. And so they get to be these master translators, which isn't the root of facilitation to make easier. And so you're the person transferring knowledge between disciplines or industries or sectors or departments or whatever to help them make it easier of what are these languages and ideas and concepts we're doing? How do they fit together? Yeah. One thing I also say is like one of the superpowers of a facilitator is really quick synthesis mm. to be able to take a bunch of inputs in, synthesize them, make some meaning of it, and then kind of spit it back out for the group to react to. Um, and so there's a balance between totally mirroring what you're hearing, but also synthesizing some things to help um, spur and move things ahead. And I think a lot of, I would say, varied and diverse background and perspective can really make that synthesis easier because it's not about necessarily how fast your brain is processing stuff. I mean, sure, there's an element of that. But if you have different models and contexts that you can draw on, it definitely um, reduces the need for your brain to have to go into hyperdrive. Yeah, I love what you're saying. That was one of the findings I had in looking at hybrids and where does hybridity show up? And hybrids are masters at um, pattern recognition and Mm. meaning making. And you just said that in your own words. That's fantastic. You know, it's like I had written down complexity earlier because, but for a different reason. And I think uh, you could kind of map this stuff onto a Kinevin framework, even based on a few things I've heard you speaking about today already. Early on, before we're hybrid, we, we have a very simple view of the world. It's like I learn to do something and I do it. And then as I learn more and more difficult things and get more and more specialized, I'm moving into the complicated domain. Mm-hmm. But hybrids really thrive in this complex domain where things are adapting and changing and we had to respond to them. And we had that fluidity that we can lean on so that if something new comes at us, we don't just get knocked off. We kind of just like we remain in balance. Yeah, definitely. I think hybrids are are very adaptable and they tinker and invent and hack and they see the standard process and they know how to kind of tweak it or make it better or change it completely. The other fascinating thing about the Kinevin model is that in between the domains, because a lot of people look at it and think it's just a two by two, but right, the lines between the domains is a domain in and of itself. So this disorder that you move through when you transition and you were talking Mm. about, you were talking about these hybrids transitioning and I think whenever we transition domains, um, there's some disorder. We have to, you know, like Clark can't, can't just turn into Superman. He has to go into the, the phone booth and emerge as Superman. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that that in itself 
I mean, there's two things I think of that might be interesting to unpack from your work, which was, do you see that there is a transition, an uncomfortable transition as people start to learn, like as they're moving from like a simple, like, I know this one thing and I'm starting to learn, build this other skill. It's like this identity, like maybe there's some identity crisis starting to happen. No, I, I was completely agreeing. I have a table I created in the in the book I wrote more than my title where I talk about emerging hybrids versus established hybrids, because there is sort of this developmental thing that's happening as you're feeling the push and pull and tension of having multiple identities, but not understanding the relationship between them, how they fit together and how to build that as the way you're you're working in the world, you're sort of stuck in this awkward phase. And there's a few different indicators I have of that. And one of it is this, I call it crossover. It's like sometimes you know how to tie your identities together and you're in that zone of genius. And other times you don't. It's like you only are one or the other and you haven't found that natural cadence or just natural ability to let it be simultaneous. And one thing, just my kind of artsy head that inspired some of um, my research findings was I was looking at paintings by Rene Magritte, and he's one of the ultimate surrealists. And he had one painting where it's a sandy beach, it's the, the seashore. And there's a doorway, just the frame of a door and the door is open. And so you can walk through that doorway and get to the water or you can stay on the beach. It's sort of that moment of this invisible gateway between the two worlds. And that's my visual mental metaphor of us trying to figure out how do we find these spaces of transition between the different parts of ourselves. It's amazing. As you were sharing some of that, I was starting to formalize some of like you, you were helping me articulate where my where my head was going previously, which is I think there's two modes maybe. One is as you're first exploring the land of hybridity, where you're um maybe it's almost like going through puberty because it's like wait a second, like this is a real awkward transition. Yeah. And as you start to become more hybrid, so you you know you're developing different um, facets of yourself. When you're in that zone. I would imagine early on it can be that fluidity isn't quite so fluid. Like mm-hmm. being able to shift between those modes may be more awkward. Like I'm actually taking this hat off, putting it on the table and putting this other hat on and it's a little clunky. Um, I had to maybe reboot a little bit, but then the more and more you do it, the more skilled that you are of, of just blending between the two to where it's almost like a dance. Like you don't even notice that you're shifting between these modes. Yeah, that's exactly right. The other tool that I brought into my work is this idea of developing your consciousness. Hybrids don't realize they're even hybrids. They have to learn that construct and realize, Mm. oh my gosh, this might apply to me. And even once you learn the term, you still might not understand how it looks for you and what makes you a hybrid. Oftentimes when I speak to people that they're they're excited and this resonates and they go, of, of course, I'm a hybrid. I do marketing and sales and, you know, I'm a gardener on the side and I love to do graphics and computer, computer animation, but they don't understand how those things fit together or how they're using synergies and, and a marriage of all that. Then there's still not emerging phase. That's more multiplicity in my mind when you are just putting one hat on, taking it off, putting mm-hmm. the next hat on. And the hybrid is literally wearing all the hats at once and has, you know, tentacles of skills. Let me give like a clear, concrete picture of my, my hybridity in action. So actually when I'm facilitating a meeting and I start to do either some visual recording, um, graphic facilitation, or 
in the moment, ask people to take on role playing to play out different personas of stakeholders that we're trying to imagine, you know, how would they experience this thing? Um, Those are moments when I notice big shifts in the room and other people don't run meetings that way. That's me and my hybridity because the researcher is turning on, the designers turning on, the um, educators turning on in that moment to get people to do things they don't normally do to make sense of information we're struggling with. So that's kind of how detailed I push people to see themselves in these moments of their hybridity to reveal it to themselves. You know, that reminds me of one of the thoughts that I had when we first met and I was starting to wrap my head around your work. And uh, it was that this is, in a way, is a really practical, pragmatic approach to personal branding. Definitely, it has that connection, which I think is just uh, one of the outcomes of doing the work. So I didn't even really do my full hybrid introduction, but essentially I've designed my own title for my hybridity and I call myself a creative disruptor because to me that encapsulates who I am in the intersections. And it's a unique name. It's not too, you know, out there or trendy, but it feels authentic and accurate. And it takes some practice and exploration to find that right combination of words. And what my creative disruptor title represents is that I'm comprised of being an artist, designer, educator, and researcher. Those are my four primary or core identities that mean the most and I have to use pretty frequently in the work I do. If I don't, I get bored or I stop doing that job or other things happen, more disengaged. So so that's really kind of the building blocks of this work is having self-awareness of your identities And then asking yourself, who are you in those intersections? And what do you call yourself in that bullseye of your intersections? That's your hybrid title, which then becomes a beautiful personal brand that all of your history and work experience connects to. Yeah, I I love this notion of um, authenticity in its purest sense, right? Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) A lot of times we, we hear that word thrown around be, you know, it's be authentic, et cetera. Um, but I truly believe that if we're going to be great facilitators, we have to be authentic. And that means being true to ourselves and showing up in that way. And I love that your work is, is a tool for folks to do that self-reflection and think about, well, what are these elements that are critical? And I think in a way, it's not all that dissimilar than, than thinking about values as well. But I think that you know values is such a overused and diluted term that a lot of times people, especially when it's, you know, you're at the company and it's the things that are just hanging on the walls and no one really lives by them. Um, (laughs) So I love that this is a framework that helps us get to that same need, but it's not a bunch of hand wavy stuff. Yeah. And one other thing I'll add to that would be, I think it's about being seen, which ultimately is about belonging, right? Mm. And we know that's one of the steps to have safety and strong teams and trust is you have to feel like you belong and people understand who you are. And when we just walk around and know each other on teams or companies as you're the director of programs, you're the head of AI, you do sales, I don't really know who you are and I actually don't really understand your job. And I understand that we need a hierarchy of formal job titles. So I'm not pushing against, you know, disrupting and changing all of that. But what I am saying and what I've started doing with more teams during workshops and companies is let's do some of this identity work to reveal your professional identity so your colleagues and peers see you the way that you want to be seen and know you for what you're best at 
And that's more than just your strengths finders or Myers-Briggs profile, which are other talents and skills. Your identity is something that, you know, just defines who you are and overarches your passion, your purpose, your skills, everything. I'm kind of getting into my nerd brain now on the yeah. facilitation, but I'm, it's, I'm starting to visualize it could be, we've been building a lot of mural templates for various activities and a lot of the things we would do in real life. And, and one of them, you mentioned strength finders, one of them is based on strength finders. And there's another one based on the, the books everyone's reading right now. So how do we coming together as a team and visually um, kind of exciting each other around possibility or around vision or around like the makeup or com- composition of the team. Yeah. I, I think it'd be really fascinating to do some of this exploration as a team. You know, what you're talking about is deeply introspective and sure uh, having, I'm sure you coach a lot of folks and help draw that stuff out. I can imagine teams helping each other draw it out because they see things in their teammates that their teammates might not see in themselves or might or aren't recognizing. They're a little blind to it because it's things they do, but don't perceive or don't say about themselves. I just have a huge smile on my face right now. You couldn't have said it better. I think doing this work in collaboration with your teammates is one of the best ways because they mirror back to you how they see you and help you realize the the truer parts of yourself that maybe you've never given a name to or wouldn't have called out. Like you said, they perceive things and they can reflect it back. Yeah, I think that's really powerful. I think one of the thoughts I was having too is like one of my favorite ways to dispel a conflict is something I called rolls and coffee. And <laughs> it's two people are kind of at loggerheads or whatever. And I don't feel like usually you can tell as a leader, like something like bad going on here or are they just misunderstanding each other. 90% of the time, it's just some silly misunderstanding stuff. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so I'll just tell them to schedule a coffee and I have no, there are no rules besides one simple rule that they can't talk about work or, or the task that they're doing. They can't discuss like the project or anything. They they can only discuss what they think each other does from a role standpoint. I want you to sit down and tell me what your role is. I'm going to tell you what your role is and you're going to tell me what my role is. <laughs> and you have to sit and listen. Yeah. Um, and it can be very eye-opening to hear how people misunderstand what you do and what you bring to the table. Completely. Uh, That is the beginning. I have a workbook that complements my book. And the first section is, you know, what do other people say you do? Like talk to your colleagues. How does your partner or family members describe what you do? How does a child, how does a neighbor, like trying these different scenarios to understand how people interpret and perceive you and what words they're using. And if they're totally vague or uncertain, that's also evidence as well. And it's not that everyone has to be super crystal clear because it is really hard to define all the different things we do. But if people are that fuzzy and if you're not telling a story that's, you know, articulating the way you want to show up in the world, then other people won't get it either. So that's kind of why I think this is a really big deal of how you describe your hybrid identity and find language that you believe in will start to cascade to your boss, to clients, to everyone. And the more I've talked about being a hybrid, I've noticed people start to introduce me that way. Or they've walked up, I had a boss one time say, hey, Sarah Beth, are you able to use enough of your identities in this job? How is that going for you? 
And that blew <laughs> me away because when would you ever expect a manager or a boss to say that and to make sure you're feeling supported and seen? And I think the more we talk about this explicitly, the more we feel, wow, this is really what's been missing from our lives. That's amazing. You know, and it's like, I think that, uh, to me, the fascinating piece is like, absolutely, others are going to help you identify things that you may not realize that you might want to kind of craft into that narrative. They may actually also point out things that that are they're perceiving that are incorrect or that like maybe we're presenting things in a way that uh, that it's confusing or people are reading into it and in, in ways that uh, we don't want. And we can repair those things as well. Oh, definitely. Yeah. If people are reflecting back to you, like I used to get called the design thinking guru a lot. And it was kind of just a fun, easy way for people to reference me. But that kind of drove me crazy because that's not who I saw myself as. Like, yes, I know design thinking, but that wasn't the way I wanted to show up in a room or be introduced. So yeah, that was good feedback where I needed to tailor and tweak how I introduced myself and how I talked about myself. And then it started to shift that introduction when other people said it. Absolutely. I, I had the same thing happening when I first started Vultures Control because I was doing a little bit of fractional CTO work as well as run, like facilitating and running design sprints. And I would tell people that, right, that I would tell them that hybrid nature of like, I'm a fractional CTO and I do design sprints. It was fascinating to me how people would always remember one or the other. Yeah. And they, so I'd either get introduced as like the CTO guy or the design sprint guy. And as I was doing less and less CTO work, it, it was even more frustrating because people would still introduce me as the, this fractional CTO. And it's like, well, I'm not really doing that as much anymore. <laughs> like It's a struggle and it's real. Yeah. And it just takes practice and experimentation. I tell people to keep iterating. It took me a while to even figure out my hybrid title. And if you don't have one, if, if that's daunting, because going into these intersections, I will say right now is the hardest work. People mm. get really lit up and they're like, oh my gosh, you just want me to draw this Venn diagram and look at my overlapping identities. I love it. That's genius. And then they start scratching their heads and go, oh my God, I don't, I don't know how to do that. But if you just want a starting point, even just saying, hey, I'm a hybrid. I work at the intersections of, in my case, being an artist, designer, researcher, educator, that is a nice gateway. And that's a really simple way to start reinforcing this stuff. But but I agree, it um, it takes a while for people to actually like hold on to it and remember it. So I want to come back to something we you mentioned in passing earlier as this kind of a setup to kind of explaining this work. And it really struck me, it, it brought me back to a place that I haven't been in a while, which is, you know, bumping into people, you know, in a networking environment or maybe at a party and, and uh, you just met them. You didn't get a really good intro. And the easiest, the, the most mundane question is, mm-hmm. so what do you do? <laughs> Every time. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And so I, you know, <laughs> I always kind of felt awkward with that question, but it was the thing I always wanted to ask, but I felt like a, an idiot asking it. Um, <laughs> and so like now that we've advanced, well, a, it's kind of difficult to even find ourselves in networking situations these days, but, um, I guess in your work, have you found more interesting questions, more, better ways to probe into this hybridity and to learn more about people rather than, so what do you do? 
Oh, definitely. I mean, a quick one that's not as much identity related is just what do you love to do? Mm. Um, adding that love part shifts it more into hobbies and, you know, extracurricular activities. But if you're trying to stay on a professional note and especially hybrid stuff, I'd say, what do you call yourself? You know, that right mm. away asks people like, what is your identity? Or just, hey, what are your different professional identities? Which right away assumes people are more than one thing. Some of those might need a little bit more contextualization to help people, you know, not feel affronted or thrown too far off. You might say, hey, I realize we're more than our job titles. Tell me about the different identities you use in your work. Um, and shifting to an identity conversation could be interesting. So those are maybe the top three that just came out of my mouth. <laughs> Yeah. As you were kind of sharing some of those, it reminded me, my friend has a great prompt that I, I've totally stolen. <laughs> and it's, uh, what's lighting you up these days? Yeah, um, I, I find that. that people always have some really fun answers to that question. So speaking of questions, questions are kind of the, I think the facilitators Swiss army knife, right? They, they get us out of a lot of trouble. Mm. They can kind of move us forward, et cetera. So, um, apart from just the, breaking the ice, I just met you questions. Like, what are some of the questions that you think are provocative or, or helpful when we're in meetings or just helping people work better together? Yeah. One of the top things I notice when I'm working with groups and we're problem solving is all the assumptions that they're holding on to that they don't hear and kind of those limited beliefs. So probably a few of my top questions I ask the most is, how do you know? You know, just asking them if they're like, oh, we don't need to research that. We already talked to those people and they said blank. And it's like, well, how do you, how do you know they really feel that way? Or what do you see that makes you say that? Getting really objective and moving away from their interpretations and subjective feelings so that they have to back it with actual fact and have a reality check and kind of question where did this story in their head start from? And probably the last one, it's sort of a loose tool. And I adjust this in so many ways. I could use it for an interview script or facilitation and brainstorming. But these four words, I think, are my driving just ideas when I'm doing facilitating. And they are needs, beliefs, pain points, and desires. I'm constantly returning back to those to understand, you know, what does a user need? What are they believing? What are their pain points and desires? And I just found... If we can answer those, we can reveal the next best set of insights to get us moving forward. I think that's also true for the participants too. Like, are we pointing that inward to the, to what's going on inside the hearts and minds of the folks in the room, as well as like who we're, who this room is focused on solutioning for? Mm -hmm. So I love that. Yeah. Excellent. Well, Sarah Beth, it's been a pleasure chatting with you today. And I'm sure I, if everyone enjoyed this as much as I did, then they're, they're eager to, to find out where they can learn more. And, um, and maybe also think about, I'd, I'd love to hear what you might, uh, might be interested in leaving the audience with. Ah, oh, so many good nuggets. Douglas, you and I just have the best synergy and we could have talked forever. Let's see. So essentially, the work I'm doing, go to my website, morethanmytitle.com. I just wrote a book with the same name called More Than My Title, The Power of Hybrid Professionals in a Workforce of Experts and Generalists. Because essentially, I think this is a movement of a hidden segment of the workforce. And I'm really trying to build awareness and give people practical tools to both help them with their own personal identity, but also 
to realize the workforce is made up of more than just experts and generalists. And then you can find my workbook and I have online courses. So my goal is just to help people activate and learn about themselves and their identity. And my takeaway for your audience today is my favorite question, which is who are you in the intersections of your multiple professional identities? And when you can start to answer that question, you are going to see a whole new side and and really just version of who you are in the world. Fantastic. Sarah Beth, it's been a pleasure chatting with you. And I'm really excited to see how the listeners take this work to heart and what they find as they start to explore new identities. So thanks so much for being on the show. And um, we'll talk again soon. I hope so, Douglas. I'd love to come back anytime or just keep me in your radar. You're great. This is wonderful. Thank you. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Control the Room. Don't forget to subscribe to receive updates when new episodes are released. And if you want more, head over to our blog where I post weekly articles and resources about working better together. VoltageControl.com.